Good morning. All right. Can hear you today. That's awesome. Hey, we are in week five of this six-week journey. So for some of you, it's like, yes, we're almost done. We don't have to deal with Nate anymore. And some of you are like, no, we don't want to stop because this is really moving. And some of you are going, I got stuck around week three and four. And some of you are like, well, I'm not quite stuck yet, but I feel like I hit a wall somewhere along the way. That's okay. It's fully expected. And before I get into the message, I just want to share some encouragement in that regard because we anticipated, sort of, what the, where people would get stuck. Because we've been having this dialogue for a year now in a different conversation that we call the exchange. And it was working with leaders, and we would talk through these values of discipleship, the very values that you're taking and you're going through the devotional every week, and you're encountering them on a daily basis. And everybody's always all together and excited about value one and two and three. You know, I will listen to the voice of God. I'll adjust to the, to the things that God, the potential that God's revealing. And I'll model Jesus in life-on-life relationships, because those all th- seem to like flow together. It's like, oh, that's really exciting. I want to hear God's voice. And then we get to I'll prepare others to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and love like Jesus. And we go, all right, now I'm uncomfortable. I don't know how to prepare others. Uh, for some people, it would be like, well, when do we invite them to church? And, and all the programmatic things that we've learned over the years start to kick in because we've been taught and we've been trained not to live on a journey with Jesus but to do it in sort of a religious add-on sort of way. That, you know, you've, you've met God, you've committed your life to Jesus, and now walk with him, but do all these religious things along with all the stuff you do daily. And it doesn't take long living that way before you're like, I can't do it. Like, I can't, like, I can't work and play and, and, and like, and when, do I, when does Jesus, when do I, when's this Jesus stuff happen? Because it's not a program. We've also been told, like, just do this, just do this, that keep doing it until something sticks. Well, for some people, that works. But there's a huge assumption, and that huge assumption is that we've encountered God. That not just that we made a decision to, to somehow believe these things, but we've encountered God. We've had a moment where we go, I now know who God is, and I know that I'm not. And it shifts our perspective on reality, and we're like, yeah, I'm no longer trying to be in the driver's seat anymore. And so to say to somebody, you go, go try things until something sticks, is, is assuming they've had this encounter and assuming that God is leading that creative process of discovery. But if he's not, you're going to keep trying things and trying things and trying things, and nothing's going to stick because it's like a program. You're just doing it because you were told to do it. The other thing with this follow journey is like we didn't leave week one and week two and week three to get to week four, and we've just been checking boxes like, okay, I know how to listen to the voice of God. I know how to adjust, check. I know it's not that. All of these values function all the time together in harmony, in concert with one another. And so I would encourage you if, you, if that's you, if you're feeling stuck right now, I want you to go back to week two. Look at days 9 through 14. 
And just look at your notes. Look at what the passage was about. Remind yourself what God was saying to you at that time because those three weeks, or that week and those four days, that was all about learning to have this be a lifestyle of walking in rhythm with God's voice, walking in his leading. For some of you, if you remember Ephesians 2.10, when you had that day, what's the very last thing in that verse? You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Another translation says, he prepared these things in advance so you could walk in them. And you'll see over and over again, this just walk in it. There's a, there's a daily walking in it. So first of all, I want you to make a note. If you feel stuck, make a note of where that is. Make a note of where that departure started to happen because that may be a place that you need to be discipled and that's okay. And whether God disciples you in that or you come alongside of somebody else who's a couple steps ahead of you and they disciple you in that, that's fine. It also may be a place where we're thinking about walking with God as a program instead of as a lifestyle. If I got 190 things on my calendar for tomorrow and I see God as a program, then God's 191. And I'm trying to fit him in somewhere in the 190. But if it's a lifestyle, I don't have 190 things on my calendar. I have 190 opportunities where I should be hearing the voice of God. And at any one or all, he may break in and be like, I need you to say this. I need you to put your hand on I need you to care for them. I need you, whatever it is, he'll tune you into something. And that's the watering. That's the planting. That's the whatever tending. That's the lifestyle of being a disciple. And when we learn that and when we're living in that, it makes it a lot easier than to see if we're walking on a journey with someone from spiritual infancy to parenthood, if we're blessed to have that opportunity, it's a lot easier to see how to do that because we're learning how to do it daily in our own life. Make sense? All right. So that wasn't the message. Because <laughs> the, simple, the, simple, the simple thing is we need to encounter God and be in awe of how awesome he is. Walk daily experiencing his presence. And as we do, and as we're, we're, we do that, we, we, we just we see those things that we can pour into others. So today's message, we're actually going to jump into a moment where the disciples actually show us that. And it, it's, it's a little, it feels a little disjointed because they didn't have this plan. Like they, they're simply responding to something God asked them to do, and they're walking through it. And so there's these encounters, and I wanna, we want to look at those this morning and, uh, and see what happens to them along the way. But I think in the midst of it, it'll give us a clue of what it means to not only do the things and live in the things that we've discovered so far in weeks one through four, but also start to understand week five, the values around week five a little bit better of how we are open-handed with people as we are walking with them or developing them as a disciple, but allowing them to become who God wants them to be, not who we think they should be. All right, so let's dive in. We are in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 to, for the first picture, and just a little, little unpacking of context. <laughs> this, I love this. I love this passage. This is, one, this is a moment where, so if you read the verses before in this chapter, Paul has the moment uh, where they have a vision, and he sees a man from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia says, come. We need your help. So they, they pack up and they go. That's, that's the backstory. I, wanted, I want you to notice who they meet. 
Okay, so here it is. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside of the city by a riverside where, we were, where um, there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, one who worshiped God, heard us. The Lord opened her heart to listen to the things which were spoken by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. So she persuaded us to stay with them for a time. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's the point, and then I'll, I'll go backwards. The point is disciples go wherever God leads to whomever God reveals. Disciples go wherever God leads to whomever God reveals. Now, the vision was a what? Audience participation time. In the vision was a who? Who was it in the vision? A man from Macedonia who said, come help. Who does Paul lead? Who does Paul meet when they get there? A group of women. <laughs> now, I don't know because I wasn't there and I didn't see the vision. So I don't know if the man from Macedonia was something God did because he knew Paul and the crew wouldn't leave if it was a woman that asked for help, okay? So he has a man appear, and then he's like, yeah, really, I'm going to send you to some women. I don't know if the man from Macedonia was just some poor husband who didn't know how to deal with his wife and is going, God, please help. And God's like, yeah, Paul, crew, go help this guy. He's stuck. I don't know if the man from Macedonia was a fellow believer there who didn't know how to encourage the women of Macedonia. I don't know. All I know is when I read that, Paul sees a vision of a man, and the first people he meets are women. So the little subnote under this is, disciples go wherever God calls them, to whomever God reveals, is don't let your own expectations of what you're about to experience when you're walking with the Lord cause you to miss the moment he prepares. Because you may walk into a situation thinking one thing and God goes, yeah, now that I have you here, it's not bait and switch, but I needed to get you here so I could show you this. And there's more to it as they go. But I want to point out these women. So many of the women listened, but notice it says one woman heard. I want you to notice this woman was a businesswoman. She was a dyer of purple which means she, she knew how to dye fabrics with a specific type of purple dye, and she probably sold, she either sold fabrics that were dyed with purple, or she was kind of like a service. You would bring the fabrics that you needed dyed, and she would do it. But that was her business. And we know, because we look later, we know it was a business that she ran because we see how she lives in relationship with the disciples and the church. But I want to point out something about Lydia. She becomes a follower, she gets baptized, does she leave? Does she go and join them and become a professional minister? No. Lydia hears the word of God. Lydia is, Lydia is deepened in her relationship with God. She has an encounter with God. 
as she's there with the disciples. And she's like, if you, if you found me to be faithful, like, I want to be baptized. And if you found me to be faithful in this, in this like, pursuit of having a relationship with God, come, come and stay. And that was a way of saying, let me be hospitality for you. Let me be the Motel 6. Let me be the Hampton Inn. Let me be whatever you need while you're staying in this area. Please let me be the one to provide for your needs. And it says she, she persuaded them. So first and foremost with Lydia, to be a disciple is to be in the world, but not of it. She doesn't pack up her business. She doesn't leave that region and stop being a dyer of purple. She's changed right where she is. She begins to support the move of God right where she is. This means that we, if we're a disciple of Jesus, we should be preparing people to be disciples in their homes, preparing people to be disciples in their places of work, in their schools, in the public settings, in their social gatherings, in any place that you are. That list of 190 all of a, all of a sudden becomes that, list, that 190 opportunities wherever you are. And where does this connect as far as what we believe? If we believe that to be a follower of Jesus is to be the church, then the church is wherever we are. I think Jesus even said that, wherever two or more of you are gathered. It doesn't not just mean two believers. Wherever two people are, if, if there's one of them's a believer, guess who's there? Jesus. God's in every moment that you're in everywhere that you are. And there's an opportunity for him to not only minister to you, but also minister to that person. So developing someone as a disciple requires more than just teaching and training them in a weekend worship and small group activities. Being a disciple and helping others be disciples means we need to be equipped to live Jesus everywhere we are. It's not always easy. And like where I started, sometimes we get stuck on that because we don't know how to bring the two things together. And that's when it's important to go back to values one and two. I'm listening. Show me what you're revealing. Help me adjust. And we, we work ourselves back through that constantly. I can't tell you how many times in my life where I've, I've had to go back and be like, okay, I've got all these shortcuts. I've got all these assumptions that crowd my thinking. And I'm going, Lord, I just need you to break through some of that. I need you to help me, like, hit the reset button. Take me back to zero. Help me just hear you. And then start to walk in it again. All right, look at when you go on to verse 16. So this is, this is Lydia, right? So they had this encounter with these women and, and Lydia. Now, they're still in the area, all right? And I don't know if they were staying there for many days. I think they were. But and so, so the scripture sort of, like, it feels like a flash forward. It's almost like that happened yesterday, and then as we were in our course of going, so that's where we pick up verse 16. It says, as we were going to prayer, and I don't know if, I, I didn't look at the Greek. Surprise, surprise. I didn't look at the Greek to get ready for this part. But I don't know if that meant we're going that morning or if every morning as they were going to prayer, but it seems like it's repetitive based on what happens. As we were going to prayer, a certain girl having a spirit of divination, meaning she had a... She had a um, uh, she had a, some translations say evil spirit. She had a spirit that was giving her insight to be able to see things and discern things spiritually. We'll find out it was a demonic spirit. 
a girl having a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters a lot of money by fortune-telling. She was a medium. She was a palm reader. She was a prophetess, not in a good way. Following Paul and us, she cried out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. She was doing this for many days. But Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, not her, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus the Messiah, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that the hope of their profit, their gain, was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men, being Jews, are agitating our whole city and advocating customs, which are not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. It sounds like trumped-up charges to me. They heal a girl. But because he took away their prophet, the accusation is they're stirring up the whole city and they're trying to get us to do things that's not good for us to do as Romans because they're Jews bringing their religiosity in here. And the multitude rose up against them and the magistrate tore their clothes from them. And they, so <laughs> get that magistrate tore their clothes from them and commanded them to be beaten with rods. After they whipped them many times, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safe, meaning don't let them go anywhere. Having received such a command, he threw them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. I don't know about you, but this started with a call from Macedonia. Come help. It moves to helping a group of ladies hear the word of God in a way that, that one lady in particular is like, oh, this, is, this is amazing. I've had this encounter with God. Let me serve. Let me be a part of it. And the very next thing that happens is another young lady who's de demon-possessed, they cure her, they get rid of the demon, and for their good deed, they're stripped naked, they're beaten, and they're not just thrown in jail, they're thrown in solitary. Now, how many of you say, sign me up? I can't wait. But this is what a disciple does. I want you to notice, they didn't go into the city saying, hey, we're Christians, come live like we do. They didn't go into the city with a chip on their shoulder trying to tell the world how the world is all wrong. They didn't go into the city trying to argue politics and argue religion in a way that they made other people feel judged. They went into the city to serve. And as they served and ministered to individuals, the pushback came. And they went to prison. They were beaten. They were stripped. Here's your second point. Disciples will face risk even for doing good. I want you to really put that in the right frame, though. Disciples don't run out and try to have these things happen to show how righteous they are. That's our culture. That's virtue signaling. That's look at how much I suffered for trying to do good. That's not what the disciples were doing. 
They simply were going and being obedient and listening. And in the midst of it, they faced risk that they hadn't anticipated. But I want to turn a corner with this and say, it's been a mistake for us in the church to emphasize pastoral, professional ministry for followers of Jesus. It's been a mistake. See, the church slipped into institutional training programs to maintain our organizational roles and methods. And has in many ways surrendered this people care, this people development to the world. Because we didn't want to be beaten, we didn't want to go to prison, we didn't want to face the risks, and because it seemed to make the most sense. I can't be in the world and give my time full-time to ministry because something about being a follower of Jesus means I should not have my own business. I should not be a part of the community that I'm in. I should be separate, and I should teach others. And then that spilled over into a mentality where churches go, well, that's what we hired the pastor for. And so we'll read this passage, and we're like, yeah, those are the pastors. And we said, that's why we send the pastors to Africa and to India and to, and to Muslim countries, because if they get beaten and they get thrown in jail, well, that's, that's their job. It's a job, because I ain't going to do it. Paul and those who were ministering with him, they didn't have that framework. They didn't. If anything, if you see the transformation of Paul, he was brought out of professional ministry as a Pharisee and put into work for the kingdom. He's a laborer for the kingdom. And no matter who we are, what we do, we are laborers for the kingdom. But we have to understand that as we labor for the kingdom, if we engage those 190 opportunities and we are obedient and we are faithful, good things are going to happen. God things are going to happen. God's greatest goodness is going to begin to spill out. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be pushback. It doesn't mean there isn't risk. Because there's a very real enemy that wants to destroy this movement. And the minute we break out of this programmatic framework, the minute we move beyond this, this struggle of trying to understand how do I do both, and we start to realize, oh my word, God is in and through all of it, the enemy goes, oh no, 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 no. You, you can't wake up. I can't let you wake up. I can't let you be effective. I can't. And he'll attack. And so will people who don't want to change. Don't miss that. The enemy will attack, but so will people who don't want to change. And there we have to be reminded our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers in this dark world that will try to keep the kingdom from spreading. And so with people who don't want to change, we pray for them, we minister to them, we're available to them, even if they hate us for it. It's the enemy. With the enemy, we don't take captives. We fight with every spiritual weapon that God gives us, and we go all in. The world, sadly, is more sensitive to broken people than we are. Because we've come in oftentimes with our indoctrinations and our educational programs, and we seem very judgmental because we're not actually caring for the person 
But unfortunately, even though the world is more sensitive, its solutions are validation and permission. The solution of the world is go ahead and do what you do as long as it doesn't interfere with me. And so I don't care if you fall apart. I don't care if you self-destruct as long as you're happy. I don't care if you let that train hit you as long as you're happy. When we say it that way, when we see it that way for what it really is, it's gruesome. Is the most unloving, unkind thing you could do to another human being is to let them die in their own suffering. And yet we're okay with it because that's what the world says we should do. You do you. It's not okay. But going against that, bringing some truth to that, bringing some light to that, bringing healing to that, even if it's demonic possession, will bring pushback. It will bring risk. And even if we're operating in God's power, that doesn't mean that God is going to spare us from that risk. But if he doesn't, it may be one of those 190 opportunities. Look at the next verse, 25. So they're in jail, they're in solitary, they're in the inner prison, they can't escape, they're in stockades, they've been beaten, they're naked, they're probably bleeding. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Probably not my first reaction. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so much that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors opened and everybody's bonds were broken. The jailer was roused out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword to kill himself supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. See that moment. But Paul cried out in a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The guard called for lights, sprang in and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do? To be saved. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and then he was baptized, he and all of his household. He brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly with his entire household having believed in God. Disciples advance the kingdom even in adversity. Oftentimes through adversity. God knew they were going to be beaten. God knew they were going to be thrown in jail. He also knew what was going to happen to the jailer. He also knew the jailer would be the one to heal the wounds and renew them, and he let it play out. See, apart from God, before we know God, we say, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? Because tragedy hurts, pain hurts, trial hurts. And it's years later that we look back and we kind of go, oh, you know, maybe, maybe there was, we try to find meaning in it. When we meet God, 
we carry those same questions into it going, God, how could you let this happen? But something was different for Paul and Silas. Their encounter with God gave them something to be able to say in the midst of prison, in the midst of being naked and bleeding, God, we're going to praise you anyway. Because if you brought us here and we're broken and we're bleeding, I can't wait to see what you're going to do as a result of this. I don't know about you, that's not my default mindset. I'm in the inner prison, I'm bleeding, I'm naked, I'm going, really? Really? There has to be an easier way for this to happen. And God goes, trust me. Trust me. There is somebody who will come to know me and encounter me in such a way that they will never, never doubt ever again. And it's not going to be because you preached at them. They're going to be ready to kill themselves because they think they have just failed at their duty and they would rather die at their own hand than be tortured and killed by the Roman authorities who would say, how dare you let these prisoners escape? And when, they, when he sees that they're all there, put myself in the jailer's shoes, I probably would ask the same question. How do I, how do I, how do I know this God that you speak of? How does all this turn out for good? How, do I, how am I saved through this? How did you keep all these prisoners here? Paul and Silas are able to say, it wasn't us. Let us tell you about the God we serve. See, the church should be on the front lines of engaging the culture all the time, but engaging with love and compassion, engaging with a readiness to care for people beyond what the world does, engaging with a readiness to hurt in ways the world is not willing to hurt. Engage in a way that the, to go to the depths with someone in a way that the world will not, because the world cannot. Because the world knows it doesn't have a solution. But if we know we don't have the solution, but we have a God who can transform the situation, then we're not in a place where we're trying to fix people. We're not in a place where we're trying to make it all better. We're in a place where we're simply walking with God and by his power and his presence in whatever moment it is, he reveals himself and the transformation begins to happen. A lot of what we struggle with as human beings is fixed by simply realizing who God is and who we are. And once we have perspective, God is able to do a lot with that. Even with a high risk of backlash, it's better for the church to be deployed everywhere. Otherwise, how would the jailer know Jesus? God accomplishes his purposes through the church when we're willing to be anywhere, imprisoned and beaten included, and surrender our desire for survival and safety to trust God's purposes and plan. That doesn't mean he's going to put you in prison. It doesn't mean you're going to be stripped and beaten throw on, and you know, thrown in jail. But are you, willing, are you willing to have people spit in your face? Are you willing to have people 
respond in a conversation where you ask a simple question and it goes to the root of something they're struggling with and their first reaction is anger. Their first reaction is that level 10 response to the level one question. Are you willing to let that be as it is, even if they attack you? And wait and worship God. Give him the room to work and then see what happens. Look at the final verses of what happens. When it was day, the magistrates sent, sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the words of Paul saying, the magistrate, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent word to let you go. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. So the jailer comes in and says, you're free to go. And Paul says, they have beaten us publicly without a trial. And we're Romans. And they've cast us into prison. Do they now want to let us go secretly? Most certainly not. Let them come here themselves and let us out. So the sergeants reported these words to the magistrates, and they were terrified. When they heard that these men were Romans, and they came and they begged them. When they brought them out, they asked them to depart the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into Lydia's house. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. There are two things I need to show you in this, in this section to help wrap all this together. But let me say the, the point. Disciples release others to be deployed wherever people are. Disciples release others to, de to be deployed wherever people are. And we'll unpack that in a second. That's the final thing that I want to share with you. But I want you to look at that encounter for a moment. First of all, would you be bold enough, you're finally getting out of prison, would you be bold enough to say to the judge and the police officers, you didn't do it right. Thanks for letting me go, but you're going to come down here and you're going to let me out of jail because you had no right to throw me in prison. Now, some of us are bold enough to do that. Many of us are like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like, just go on our way. Wounds are healing. It's all good. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Paul says, no, by golly, they're coming down here because we're Romans. But I want you to see what happens in that moment. Not just that they're terrified. Go back to the beginning. What was the lie they believed that got these men thrown in prison? The lie and the deception that came out of the mouths of the business owners who were manipulating and using this young girl who was possessed by a demon. What came, out of their, what came out of their mouth? These men, because they're Jews, are agitating our city, and what they're saying is not compatible with being a Roman citizen. So they believed it. They couldn't possibly be Romans. Look at the crushing reality of that. We threw Romans in prison. Now, if you're a magistrate, if you're a leader and you glossed over that, and you suddenly realize how serious an error, like their lives are now on the line. Caesar could have them killed because they put a Roman citizen in jail without having proper trial. But what's the other piece? Going, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this whole the way thing, maybe this whole Jesus thing isn't incompatible with being a Roman. Why would these guys go to prison? Why would they let us strip them and beat them? Why, 
Why would they go through this? And why is our jailer all of a sudden different? Do you see what God's doing? Because they were willing to go there, God has a stone placed in the foundation of that city that is now going to challenge the very fabric of what it means to be a Roman citizen. It's going to challenge the very lie that, this, that Satan had over those business owners and that poor young girl who was demon-possessed. He's unraveling it because they were willing to go there. So I don't know who made the initial plea, whether it was a desperate husband or not. But in this one trip, we have a businesswoman who becomes a supporter of ministry through her business. We have a jailer who's in the prison who becomes a believer. Think about that. The business sector now has somebody in it who can say, let me tell you about this God I know. The prison system has somebody in it to say, let me tell you about this God I know. So now you got the people on the leading edge of society. You've got people at the bottom edge of society who are throwaways and castaways because they've been thrown in prison. And God's like, yeah, this is the road we walk. We're everywhere. We're everywhere because the kingdom is meant to be everywhere we are. Lydia continued to run her business to provide for that local body of believers. She continued to host them whenever they came to town. And she gave to the mission of the kingdom. The jailer continued as a jailer as far as we know. But I would love to have been there to hear some of the stories he would tell inmates as they came through. I'd be curious to know how many inmates left that jail believing in Jesus because of that jailer. Paul and Silas... Paul and Silas did not hold any assumptions about where people should serve Jesus. Look at how they leave. They go back. They thank and bless Lydia, and they leave. They didn't say, pack up and come join us in professional ministry. We think you should be a pastor. It wasn't even a thought. God has you planted right where you are to be a disciple who makes disciples and takes those opportunities you are already deployed where God wants you. And if not, and you're listening, he'll move you. And that's okay. Sometimes that new direction that God has prepared for us is where we need to go. Sometimes we're right where we need to be. We just haven't realized how God wants to use that. We need to release our expectations of what ministry is. We need to release our expectations of what church is. We need to release our expectations of discipleship as a program and learn to walk in it daily. It should saturate. It should come out. Of, so let me, let me finish with this. Have you ever eaten like a lot of garlic? And I'll, I'll share this because, um, you know, Zachary had his friends over for his birthday party and, and one of his friends <clears throat> likes a lot of garlic on his pizza, but he poured not the shaker end, but the spoon end coating his pizza. <laughs> And he looks at me, he's like, I like garlic. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, mm-hmm. <laughs> my first reaction as a parent is, really, you're going to waste my garlic? You know, like, so that's my first reaction, right? But the reality is, I'm like, I, I want to see if he can actually eat it. And then I'm thinking, he's sleeping over. Like, 
What's that going to be like in the morning? But you know, he, didn't, he couldn't eat it. He ended up throwing that piece away, which is fine. But have you ever eaten that much garlic and the next day, maybe the next week, like you're walking around the house and you're going, it's me. Like, and it just has this aroma. It just comes out of your pores. Like, and you're gone. And, and, and if, you, if you're married or you have somebody close to you, they're like, why do I smell garlic? And it's not like garlic, garlic. It's like, it's got this sweetness to it, but it's got this like, you know, and you go, that's me. That I would share with you as a picture. So the next time you have garlic, you remember this. Or if you don't, have never experienced that, go and eat three cloves of garlic, and after you vomit, um, <laughs> hopefully you keep it down. See what happens the next day. It saturates your pores to the point where it just it comes out of you. And it's everywhere. Like, you can smell it. I've been able to smell it on my skin. It was so strong. And you go, wow. That's what it's like to be a disciple. I'm not adding it into my day. It's not a vitamin I take in the morning. It's not something I add to my calendar. But in and through the move of the day, all the things that are out ahead of me, I'm constantly listening. I'm constantly willing to adjust. I'm willing to move something on my calendar if I have to. But I'm willing to see what God wants to do in the calendar that's there too, trusting that that's there. Ultimately trusting that whatever my day has, he knows. And if I wind up in Macedonia, and there's some young person prophesying behind me, I might be more careful, but I'm willing to respond to the Holy Spirit and be like, no, it's, I know that's not you. And be willing to face whatever consequences that come. I'm willing to invest in somebody and hold no expectation over what they should do with it. I'm willing to say, welcome to the family. Now go and be who God's called you to be. Release people. Maybe before you can do that, you need to release yourself. Be released. If God wants you in full-time ministry, professional ministry, oh my word, he'll tell you. Like, he will. But I have a suggestion for you. I have a suggestion for you. You already are. You already are. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry every minute. And when you think about that and you think about standing before an eternal, holy, awesome God and saying, what did you do with your time? I would much rather say, yeah, that was awesome, wasn't it? I love how you led me in all of that than to say, I'm so sorry. I missed it. So would you let God walk with you daily? If you're stuck, have somebody walk with you to get you through that piece, get you over the programmatic way of looking at it, and allow God to start creating through you what that looks like, and that, to the point where this becomes garlic on your skin, becomes a, a, an aroma that permeates you until the kingdom is all around you. And you open your eyes and you start to realize, so is the harvest. So many people need to have encounter God.
if we're just willing and we're listening in the midst of our day. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, wherever we are stuck, wherever we have approached being a disciple as a program, wherever we've approached it with our own expectations or ones that were given to us, Lord, we lay that down in the name of Jesus right now at your feet. Father, we ask you to recreate in us. Give us the imagination to recreate and see that differently. Jesus, show us and teach us how to do that in reality. And Holy Spirit, empower us to be able to do that in a way where we're not lazy and it's not accidental and it's intentional, but it's not so systematized and programmed that we're just checking boxes. We want to live and move and have our being in your presence, and we're trusting you moment by moment to craft, create, and lead. And we'll give you the honor and the glory, and we thank you, God, in advance for the people that you already have lined up. Help us to be faithful and follow you as we encounter them and walk with you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.